My uh, kids recently have watched the classic movie Annie about Annie the orphan who grew up in an orphanage and got adopted by a very, very, very rich man. And I think they watched both the classic at home and then at school they were shown the, the newer version. Now it kind of amused me just watching the, the opening scene with them, this classic song, It's a Hard Knock Life. And you know, when you watch it, it's like it's so fun and like they're dancing and they're singing and it's somehow quite lighthearted even though they're singing about quite horrible stuff. So I'm going to read you the lyrics to this word, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, keeping in mind that we live in an age where we're revealing abuse of all kind, and I want you to try to hear it a little bit differently than the way you've heard it when you hear Annie singing it in the movie. It's a hard knock life for us, for instead of treated, we get tricked. Instead of kisses, we get kicked. It's a hard knock life. Got no folks to speak of. It's a hard knock row we know. Cotton blankets instead of wool. Empty bellies instead of full. It's a hard knock life. Don't feel like the wind is always howling. Don't it seem like there's never any light. Once a day, don't you want to throw in the towel? It's easier than putting up a fight. No one's there when your dreams at night get creepy. No one cares if you grow or if you shrink. No one dries your eyes when they get wet and weepy. From all the crying, you would think this place a sink. Empty belly life, rotten smelly life, full of sorrow life, no tomorrow life. Santa Claus we never see. Santa Claus, what's that? Who's he? No one cares for you a smidge when you're in an orphanage. It's a hard knock life. It's no joke being an orphan, right? We might watch this movie and it's light and it's fun and we might even sing along. But when you really think about the words, that's awful, being an orphan. And Jesus doesn't want us to live like orphans either. He calls us his children and he calls us not to live like orphans. And today's passage points us to his answer for how we often live like orphans. And we'll see, we have a Holy Spirit in us. So let's live not as disobedient children, but as loving children. We have a Holy Spirit helper in us. So let's live not as disobedient children, but as loving children. Not disobedient orphans, but as loving children. So again, just quick context. We're in the farewell discourse, which is Jesus' last teaching, his last words before he goes to the cross. And we looked at some of Jesus' words last week as well. And Jesus is explaining here in this passage that his followers, remember, they've been walking with him for these three, four years. His followers can continue to have an intimate relationship with God, even though Jesus is saying he is going to be going away. And he's saying that this intimacy with God revolves around this mysterious helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, Easter Sunday for us has come and gone, and yet we remember in the liturgical calendar that Pentecost is still going to come. Now, this doesn't fall on Pentecost Sunday, but we remember the importance of Pentecost because Jesus promised that he will send the Holy Spirit, and this is his teaching about this promise. And so let's dig into this passage Verse 15, it says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this first section, verses 15 through 17, we'll see that we have a Holy Spirit helper in us. Now it's important to remember that this section, this passage starts in verse 15 with these words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we will come back to that. There's an important theme in this section and in Jesus' farewell discourse as well. We come to this part where Jesus is saying, I call you to loving obedience to God, and yet I recognize that you will struggle with that, and you will need a helper to dwell inside of you in order to live out this loving obedience. Now, the Trinity is something we read at this church every week as we confess and profess our faith. The Nicene Creed today, we we go through the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we know it to be an orthodox and ancient belief of the Christian church that God is three persons in one God. And this divine logic defies, defies, of course, our human finite logic. It doesn't seem to add up literally to us. But the Trinity is, is not new for the New Testament it's something that we see hints of, this, the three persons in one God throughout the Old Testament as well. Particularly, we see the Holy Spirit present in the creation account in the very first book of the Bible where the Holy Spirit is the, is the breath of God who is creating all of creation. We see that the Holy Spirit is, is the one who brings particular gifts and abilities to the, to the Israelites, like the, the artisans who created and crafted the tabernacle of God. We see the Holy Spirit come upon Samson and other judges to bring strength and ability to deliver God's people from, his, from their enemies. We see also the Holy Spirit coming to speak through prophets to bring the word of God to his people. So we see clear examples, the Spirit of God, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and then expanded and clarified so much more in the New Testament. And Jesus is trying to teach them and remind them of the importance of the God who is three in one. Now in verse 16, Jesus says something that will be quite shocking to Jewish ears. Because in contrast to the Holy Spirit coming Um, as he pleases to certain events and circumstances and then leaving seemingly, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This was not the experience of the Israelites in the Old Testament. That was not what was recorded for them in Scripture. The Holy Spirit will be given to God's people forever. This would have been a shock to Jewish ears forever. Again, not for specific tasks or events, not for specific circumstances or needs, forever. And Jesus says that New Testament, New Covenant believers of Jesus will receive another helper. The phrase another helper. So this implies, of course, that Jesus himself is a helper. And we hear the Apostle John teach this in 1 John 2, 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So this word advocate here in 1 John 2, it's the same Greek word that is translated helper here in John 14, the chapter that we're looking at today. And so, in fact, when Jesus says his Father will send another helper, he's saying not another in the sense of someone, another of a different kind, but 
He's saying another of the same kind, the same kind of helper that Jesus is, Jesus will send to his people forever. This helper is the Greek word parakletos, and it literally means a person summoned to one's aid. And it can be variously understood as advisor, legal advocate, mediator, intercessor. And theologian Merrill Tenney says this, the Spirit's function is to represent God to the believer as Jesus did in his incarnate state. The Spirit's function is to represent God to the believer just as Jesus did in his incarnate state. And he goes on to say, the individual indwelling of the Spirit is the specific privilege of the Christian believer. Think about it. If Jesus did not leave his disciples and ascend into heaven, then he could not send this helper, this Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit did not come, then God could not accomplish his purpose, his goal to send the gospel to the ends of the world. If the Holy Spirit did not come, then literally none of us would be here having believed in the gospel message. Well, you could think of it this way. If Jesus had, after his resurrection from the dead, resurrected as fully God and fully man, just as he always was, he decided just to stay on and continue to preach the word, then his reach would be limited. At best, he'd be like a Billy Graham figure, filling up stadiums, bringing the message of God to stadiums full of people, or perhaps buying some cable TV channels where he could share the gospel to those who might turn on to that particular channel. But God's plan was to indwell every believer through the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, so that every believer, every believer, every single one of us could be the representative of God with the presence of God within us. You, if you have put your faith in Christ, are representative of God with the presence of God within you. What an amazing truth. What an amazing work and plan that God had so that his plan of sharing the gospel message of restoration of man to God could be achieved through every single person who put their faith in Christ because each person would be a representative of God with the presence of God within them. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says this, it's a bit of a paraphrase, but he says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, the Holy Spirit empowers, purifies, reveals, and unifies. The Holy Spirit empowers, purifies, reveals, and unifies. That is the work that he does in us as believers. And that the Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidence of his presence and blessing of God according to our response to him. That's an important distinction to make there. The presence and work of the Holy Spirit is not conditional upon our goodness or our obedience. That is simply the work of God's grace in our life through faith in Christ. And yet the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us is according to our response to him. And that makes sense as we look at other teachings of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul calls us not to grieve the Spirit. Paul calls us to walk in the Spirit. He calls us to walk in step with the Spirit. He calls us to be led by the Spirit. He calls us to live in the Spirit. 
And so each of those scriptural quotes teach us the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in his believers. And yet also the reality that we could ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit. That there is a matter of faith involved in our experience of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of that Holy Spirit in us. But nonetheless, if we have faith in Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit is ours simply through faith in Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And yet, yes, we can ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit within us. But whether we ignore the Holy Spirit in us, or we walk in the Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit helper is in us through our faith in Christ. And that is a reality that we must grasp and hold on to and cherish. This is one of those truths that I struggle to teach on because I'm always afraid that I'm not going to be able to do justice to the beauty of that truth. In the church, we have Christians who theologically downplay the Holy Spirit so much that it's almost like the Holy Spirit is not a third person of God as they believe. Or some who focus so much on the, the, the external signs of the Holy Spirit that we miss what is true for every believer, that we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God. And the richness of truth and application that comes from that simple yet profound truth. We have the Holy Spirit helper in us. If you just pray on that and think on that for this week, what difference does that make in your life for this to be true? But let's go on to see what Jesus says about this, about the truth of the implications of this. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me, see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. We have a Holy Spirit helper in us, so let's live not as disobedient orphans. Now in this verse here, verse 18, Jesus is referencing his post-resurrection appearances and how in his resurrection, his, his followers will see the power over sin and death that Jesus has, how Jesus is truly divine, how Jesus is truly one with God the Father. But his language also reminds his disciples that he will leave, he will depart, he will go on and ascend to the right hand of God the Father. And that because of that, his followers then and for us now that we can feel like and think we are orphans in a hostile world. That we can end up living like we are orphans left to fend for ourselves. That God is not with us. Jesus is setting up his explanation for his need to send the Holy Spirit to his people. For us as humans, without a God, we can touch and see. We are always prone to think that we are orphans. We might say we believe that God is here, that God dwells inside of us, but functionally we can end up living like we are very much alone and feel very much we are alone. We can feel like we are orphans who are afraid, orphans who don't know what is right or wrong, or orphans who know what is right but just don't have the motivation to do what is right. I think it's true, right? Orphans do often feel alone. 
feel like they don't belong, feel like they're unwanted, or feel like they're not good enough. Now, you don't have to be an orphan, and I don't think we have any orphans in here. You don't have to be an orphan to relate to feeling alone, to relate to feeling unwanted, to relate to feeling like you are not good enough, to relate to feeling like you don't belong. Those are just human feelings that we at all, sometime or another, in big or small ways, relate to those feelings. And those are powerful feelings in us. They are powerful feelings that can lead us to justify a lot of behavior that are wrong, essentially. We could say, essentially, these are some examples. I don't know if we're ever this honest with ourselves, but I manipulated that person because I didn't want to be alone and I didn't want to be vulnerable. I lied about that because I wanted to be accepted. I stole that money so that I could afford things to feel like I belong with the crowd. I cheated on that exam because I don't feel like I'm good enough. We all need, some way or another, the presence of the Holy Spirit helper so that we know we belong to God. We know that we are not alone in this world to fend for ourselves, so that we know that we are loved by God, that we belong to God that he leads and guides us in this life. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine God's truth in our hearts and in Scripture. We need the Holy Spirit to motivate us to do what is right, even when we know what is right. And verses 26 and 27 tell us that very thing, the way in which the Holy Spirit will meet us in the midst of of the ways in which we live like orphans in this world. Verse 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We hear here that, we hear in this passage that the Holy Spirit Spirit teaches us what is true, impresses upon us who Jesus is, how he loves us, and his will for us, that the Holy Spirit speaks and assures us of God's presence with us, God's delight in us, that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to live like orphans in this world. I went to boarding school in England for two years, and those two years showed me the great flaw of the English boarding school education system that was, at least growing up in Hong Kong, greatly revered as the thing to do. Send your kids to boarding school in England, specifically. Now, these kids that I went to boarding school with, a lot of them had been in boarding school for a very long time. I only went from age of 16 to 18. Now, these kids might have, I I didn't know their parents. They may have had parents who loved them very dearly, and yet they grew up in this culture in England and Hong Kong as a colony was influenced by this. The thought, the best thing you could do for your kids was to send them to boarding school. And so the parents might very well have sent them great intentions, might have loved them very well. And yet the reality of the way the English boarding school system was set up was that the parents could not be present to bless them, to teach them, to comfort them, to guide them the best the English boarding school system could do was to manage the kids that they had 
responsibility over. And so in my school, it was one housemaster, one matron, a bunch of upperclassmen monitors, and a whole lot of demerits that you could, could be given for breaking the rules. It's very hard to build character that way. It's very hard to build loving boys that way. The best case scenario in the English boarding school system is that you keep the boys under control. Just make sure they don't go wild and run away and break stuff and riot. There was really no way for a loving investment in these boys outside of that system. There's only so much that these paternal, um, parental figures of the housemaster and matron could do for 60 boys on a daily basis. The change from Old Testament faith to New Testament faith is a lot like the difference between growing up in an English boarding school and growing up in a home where your, present, where your parents are ever-present, ever-loving, speaking into your life, comforting you, reassuring you, guiding you, correcting you. One is a system of rules and control. The other is, again, the ever-present, loving, guiding, teaching, comforting, protecting of a person. Of course, this analogy falls short, really, of even the beauty of the biblical truth. Because the Holy Spirit helper changes the condition of our hearts, changes the inclinations of our heart. The Holy Spirit helper is present in a way that even the most loving parent could not be present. It is, the Holy Spirit is always there, present within us, dwelling inside of us. We are one with God through faith in Christ. Verse 23 says this, that through the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, Jesus, will make their home with us. The gospel can be beautifully summed up in that way, that God makes his home in us. What an incredible gift Christ's blood purchases and achieves for us. And so we are pointed to how we are to not live as disobedient orphans, but to love as loving children, to love our Father in heaven. And so this section ends with these verses. And remember verse 15 said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. In this section, this ending here, verses 21 through 24, there's this great emphasis on the, the, on the disciples' love for God being expressed through obedience to God. And theologian Tenney says this, obedience is not, however, the condition of God's love for men, but the proof of their realization of his love and of their love for him. God's love for us is not dependent upon our obedience. But when we know and realize the depth of God's love for us, then our response should be a desire to please our Heavenly Father, to obey our Heavenly Father. And we struggle with this. We, st- we still, we, even though we've heard it so many times, we struggle with thinking that, 
God's love for us is dependent upon our obedience. We struggle with thinking that loving God is feeling love for God. We struggle with just having to answer to an authority over us. I watched this documentary recently on Scientology, and I really knew very little about Scientology other than it was a little cuckoo. So I watched this, uh, this Scientology documentary, and it was fascinating, I, I would recommend. It's called Going Clear. But what really struck me, given how many people it drew in, I was trying to figure out, what is the appeal of this? It's kind of crazy when you really think about it. I know people can say that about Christians too, but... And I think the appeal was there is this appeal of self-exploration rather than answering to a godlike authority and a specific moral code. It's easier for us in our, in our brokenness to say, oh, I'm just going to explore myself, become a better person, but not have to answer to a god and to a moral code. There's an appeal of, of having self-control because there was a very specific path of attaining higher levels of spirituality. I mean, they show charts of what you're supposed to do in Scientology, and it's, it's crazy, really. It's just crazy to think you could map it out that way and that you'd have to pay for the classes to reach the higher levels. I mean, surely we should be suspicious the moment we have to shell out thousands of dollars. But there was this awful irony in all of that because the appeal is self-control, The appeal is self-exploration. And the awful irony is that in trying to escape being under the authority of God and the law of God is that they ended up in a cult that uses and abuses confidential things they shared with people to blackmail them, to, to scare them. Officially, there is no God authority in Scientology and yet there very much was a cult-like authority that controlled them and hurt them. And so we look at our Christian faith. God's authority may very well scare the modern person and they may be very skeptical of it, but the Christian faith is deeply founded on there being a God whose law is good and brings life and that we need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into our spirit so that we might be able to pursue the life that is represented in God's law. Obedience to God's law does bring life. And we can't achieve it on our own, obedience to that law. It is Christ who has achieved it for us. But when we see how much God loves us that he would sacrifice his one and only son, so that we might be forgiven and restored to him, then our response should be overflowing love expressed in in obedience. And love has to be expressed in obedience because love has to be expressed through goodness and truth. Love cannot be expressed in evil and lies. And we struggle with this as well as humans. We often say, well, as long as I mean well, as long as I have good intentions... Well, if you've ever been around people with a lot of good intentions but never follow through on those good intentions and you have to relate to them on a regular basis, you know that the good intentions only go so far. And at some point, 
the lack of good actions to follow the good intentions begins to hurt you. Our good intentions must be followed with good actions. And that is what God calls us to. When we experience that in a human relationship where someone only has good intentions but no good actions, we long for more from them, from that relationship. And God is the same with us. He longs for more than just our good intentions. He longs for our good intentions to be expressed in good actions. Love for God expressed through obedience to God. The reality is, though our love for God may not always translate to obedience to God, we know we can turn again and again to the God who forgives us through Christ and has made a home with us. If we've ever feared that God has has turned his face from us, wants to shun us, want to condemn us, remember that what Christ's work does is that it enables the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. It enables God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to make a home in you. Christ's blood covers over us, covers over all the ways in which our love falls short of obedience to God. The Holy Spirit empowers purifies, reveals, unifies us to God. And the Holy Spirit will remind us and impress upon us again and again that there is grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. That there is grace to be found at the cross. That there's forgiveness to be found with God. That the Holy Spirit restores us again and again every moment, every minute, every day to God, if we continue to have faith in Him, we are not orphans left to fend for ourselves. We are beloved children of God, indwelt by the presence of God. He has made a home in us. Let's pray.